following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Jesus was teaching the parable of the sower. The sower went out to sow. And he begins to say that this parable reveals the very secrets of the kingdom of God. He said, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at at once, receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they're offended. The King James Version, 
They're offended. The word is scandalized. Scandalized. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things comes in and chokes the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, or, as Matthew says, understand it. And they produce a crop, thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times what was sown. And it's by perseverance they do this. Now, my question to you is, how deep is the soil? How deep is the good soil? How deep does your heart need to be to receive all of these seeds of the gospel as they're planted in you so that you don't have rocky soil? You have deep soil. How deep does it need to be? Well, part of what I've seen in our culture today is that we don't have any idea how deep that soil is or how deep it needs to be. I want to tell you today that soil needs to be very deep. And it begins, as the psalmist tells us in Psalm 51, with the cry, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The soil will be shallow if you do not begin with repentance and an evaluation of what the soil is in your heart. While making a decision, a conscious decision, about how you're going to respond to this gospel message. Now it's very clear. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Oh, cleanse me with hyssop, that is, with blood, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Verse 17. 
Psalm 51:17 The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart O God you will not despise Isaiah 66:2 This is the one I esteem he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word Now David in his Psalm 51 confession as he deals with the sin of his heart is very much a model if you want deep soil that can receive the seed of the gospel it is not a casualness it is not shallow it is honestly dealing with my spirit condition dealing with what I do day by day that displeases the Lord. It recognizes my depravity, and it causes the heart to begin to cry out to the Lord, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. This is the opening salvo to having that good soil that will produce 60 or 100 times what was sown in it. It is not a simple process to gain good soil. It is a gift of Jesus. Peter talks about this. First Peter, the first chapter. Let me begin reading to you at verse 13. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he called you, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. In the first chapter, he introduces his whole book in verse 2 by saying who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood Peter is saying look you've been chosen to be made holy what does it mean to be sanctified to be set apart from what? Set apart from the world, from the shallow soil, from the choking thorns. It means to be set apart unto Jesus. Now, I've read these passages many times, and there are more passages I want to share with you. But I have to tell you, I've not really understood these passages. Intellectually, I have. Oh, yes. It's not difficult to intellectually read and understand the words. But in the depths of your spirit, 
where the soil is? Now that's another question. First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through the through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. You notice it does not say, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be covered by the blood of Jesus so that his righteousness will be seen by the Father. No, it says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And then it says, The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it in you. There's another passage I want to turn to quickly. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are the witnesses? Well, all of chapter 11. All of the greats of Scripture. They're watching this. They're in heaven. They're watching this. They're watching you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Literally, the sin that comes dancing out around you, trying to attract your eye. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now there's... One more passage that I want to read. And then I have some things I want to share with you. Romans, the 12th chapter. Verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Transformed. Transformed. Literally, utterly changed a new man I want to share some things out of this book that I've been sharing some with you the remarkable incidents and modern miracles through prayer and faith by Guy Bevington I have a particular reason for wanting to share this story It is an example of old-time religion. 
as opposed to the shallowness of our religion. It is challenging me on every level. And I've been sitting before the Lord day after day, crying out that he would teach me how to pray, that he would give me such a depth of soil that the word of God planted in me could grow and produce a hundredfold for the kingdom of God. He writes, I went to the Cincinnati camp one year and there was invited to come down the river to hold a meeting. I don't remember much about the meeting, but a sister there was unable to attend the services. Being confined to her bed, I went to prayer for her and soon saw that there was something hindering, but couldn't tell just what. I wanted to know if it was the same as recorded in Daniel 10. So I went out to the barn where I was staying in the home, and then finally from there I went to the woods. She had been healed once before through our prayers. In about 48 hours, God showed me that she had never testified to the other healing. So I went in and reminded her of negligence. Now, wait a minute. Did I read that correctly? This man went out in the barn and out in the woods where he could pray and wait before God for 48 hours. Two days day and night. I went in and reminded her of her negligence that she had not shared her other healing. She'd been a coward. After a pause, she said, Brother Bevington, who told you that I never testified to it? Whoever did told you a lie. I said, Sister, You never testified to it here in this Methodist church where you are well known. Well, no, I never did here, but did once in an open-air meeting in Cincinnati camp meeting. Yes, I said, t'was no trouble there where you were not known and no sacrifice there, no danger of anyone's pointing the finger at you there. I said, Sister, you were too big a coward to stand here and tell what God had done for you. And Jesus said, Whoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. She said, I'd like to know who told you that. I said, God told me that when I was out in the woods praying. Yes, tis true, said she said. Brother Bevington, will you ask God to forgive me? I said, If you can convince God that you will stand here amongst the scoffers and tell the truth about your healing, I presume he will heal you. But you will have to convince him, and that may not be easy. You might easily convince me, but you're not dealing with Bevington on this case. You're dealing with God, the all-seeing Jehovah. God has no use for cowards. So I left her and went back to pray in the woods. 
I remained there about sixty hours, and then slipped out the back way from the woods and did not go near the house, but went about four miles to hold another meeting. While she was getting increasingly desperate and sick, I conducted a fourteen-day meeting in which several found the Lord and two were healed. She heard where I was and sent for me. I went and she said, "I'm in heaps of trouble. I've told the Lord I would tell it here in this neighborhood, in this church." I said, "I think He knows you're lying as you did before." And grabbed for my hat, and went back to the woods to pray. I remained there about four days, as I was very desirous that she would get where God could trust her, with such a boon as healing it would be for her, as she had means and talents that God could use, if He could get hold of her. I want to stop. This man. Is spending days praying for one individual that God could just move her to a position where He could begin to work in her life. Many of you listening to this broadcast are not in a position where God can even begin to work in your life. You're too stubborn, or you're too angry. Your grudge is too deep. And somebody is going to have to pray for you, and it won't be quick, and it won't be easy. Or you're going to have to go before the Lord for yourself, and cancel almost everything in your life, and get a hold of God. Well, she was dumbfounded at my actions and about concluded that there was something radically wrong in my in my brain. But I was up on the hill under a large oak, pleading with God to wake her up, and get her where He wanted her. And God was doing His part. On the fifth afternoon, He said, "Go to her at once," and I went. And such a sight as met my eyes, she had been crying for forty-eight hours. As I knocked at the door, I heard her between sobs say, "Come in." As I entered the room, she threw up her hands, saying, "Oh, I'm so glad to see you! I'm so glad you've come, and God has answered prayer. Forgive, oh, forgive me for feeling so angry against you and saying so many bad things about you. I am so sorry." As I never knew, I was such a mean person. That was what I had spent those hours in the woods for, as that proud heart had to be subdued. You see, she'd never had anything more than a meeting house religion. I was fully convinced that sin had never, that she had never received the Holy Spirit. For that. A person could lose regeneration and and lose everything in her life with Jesus. So I felt that she was an entire backslider, but did not consider it wise then to inform her so. She just said, "Brother Bevington, I have lost 
my sanctification. For had I been sanctified, I would never have felt toward you as I did. Now in such a case is where wisdom is needed, so I am quite sure that if I had said, Now, sister, you are a backslider, she would never have accepted it. So I went to the woods, and I pleaded with God to tell her that she was a backslider, as he seems better capacitated for those emergencies than we do. I spent five hours in the barn after coming down from the hill and cried, Oh God, don't let her be deceived. So after she makes this confession, he knows that she's not even saved because of her attitude, because of her words, because of how she's treating Jesus, even though she's very religious. Now please, some of you listening to this broadcast have never produced one soul for Jesus. Why? Because your heart's hard. Because you have thorns growing in your life. You're consumed with making money. You're consumed with other things. You're consumed with responsibilities. The soil in your life is not clear and clean so that God can step in and plant his word deeply in your heart. You're shallow. And many of you listening to this broadcast have backslidden. If you ever were converted, you have certainly backslidden today. He goes on. I spent five hours in the barn after coming down from the hill. And I cried, Oh God, don't let her be deceived. That five hours of struggling in the barn caused the x-ray to be turned on. And she said, Brother Bevington, I'm sure you'll be very much surprised at what I'm going to relate, but I feel that I must tell you. I am an entire backslider. So don't pray any more for me to be sanctified, but pray that I may be reclaimed. So finally, the Holy Spirit is turned on in her heart, the x-ray machine, so that she now is beginning to comprehend Psalm 51. She's beginning to understand the depth of her shallowness. And with anguish in her heart, she cannot just blow off Bevington's words to her. Now she has to deal with them because it's the Holy Spirit who has come and turned on the x-ray machine so that she can see the depth of her wickedness. And so now she is honestly admitting that she's not even a Christian, that she has lost her Christian faith. It's just a sham. It's meeting house religion. It's church religion. It's social religion. But she has a heart full of stones. She has her soil choked up with thorns and thistles. And she's not getting anywhere with Jesus. He doesn't answer her prayers. Will Jesus answer your prayers? Or do you shoot a prayer at heaven and then go about your business because you know nothing's really going to change unless you do something and make it change? 
Oh, I want to tell you, that's a sign of backsliding. That's a sign that you need regeneration. You need to be converted. Don't put any confidence in the fact that you've gone to church for years. Look at the reality of the condition of your heart. Oh, God, turn on the x-ray machine right now in the heart of every person listening to this broadcast. Lord, turn on the x-ray machine. My heart as well. Lord, don't let us be shallow. Lord, we need deep soil to produce the fruit you desire us to produce. And the thorns and the thistles and the rocks, Lord, they have to be gone in the name of Jesus. He continues. So it is to be seen that perhaps nine times out of ten, we make an awful failure of work for which God is so much more qualified than we. In three hours, she was blessedly converted and was so happy and said, Why, brother, I wonder if I didn't get sanctified when I got reclaimed here. I feel so very happy. I said, Did you ever see anyone that was sanctified at the same time it was regenerated? Well, but I'm I'm so very happy. I said, You ought to be happy. A woman that is mean enough to slam the door in the face of as good a friend as Jesus is and treat him as you've treated him and have him tenderly forgive you for that treatment and throw his loving arms around you and restore your former joy ought to be a very happy person indeed. She said, I guess you're about right. Well, now can you pray for my healing? The book says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Have you his own righteousness now? You've been regenerated, you're converted. But have you been sanctified? Well, I don't think so. But what must I do? I said, Don't you want to be sanctified? Well, certainly, yes, I do. Well, why not pray for sanctification? I thought that after I was healed, I could pray through better and get sanctified. Well, you settled that squarely from the word. I grabbed my hat and started out. It had now been nearly seven days since I'd had anything to eat. I went out into the kitchen and told the daughter that I was hungry. She prepared a nice dinner, and I ate heartily. They had a little girl, about seven, who saw me in the kitchen. She went into Mother's room telling her what I had said about a little girl in Cincinnati, and the mother said, Tell him to come in here, as she didn't know what had become of me. She said, I have no more terrible feelings about you, and do you believe that Jesus will heal me? I said, he may after you get the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop again. Test yourself. Do you have terrible thoughts and feelings 
about anybody in your life. If you do, you have not been sanctified, and you may have backslidden so much that you're not even converted. It's those terrible feelings towards someone else that is the telltale sign that your heart is filled with accusations and judgments. Now you can subdue them, but subduing sin never works. You can by willpower say, I will forgive them, but I'm still mad. It doesn't work. There will be rocks in your soil if you live like that. The soil has to be totally broken up. It has to have the rocks removed. The thorns have to be burned out and then dug up. We want deep, deep soil. We want soil that can be planted the loom soil. I remember when I was a kid on the farm, Dad would get out the big farm all tractor and he would plow that ground up, turning it over. The ground still had things that would stick my bare feet and hurt me. So I rode on the tractor when he was plowing and I watched the furrows straight and clean And then after he plowed that soil, he'd get out the disc. And the disc he pulled behind the tractor, again over all of that soil that had been turned over. And the disc had sharp blades, circular sharp blades on it. And those blades would cut those clods of dirt up. And if it bounced over a rock, Dad would stop the tractor and he'd say, Ray, go get that big rock and haul it out of there. And sometimes I was too little to pick walk up and dad would have to climb down off the tractor and he'd take a hold of that rock and it would move and if it was a really big rock he'd throw a chain around it unhitch the disc and he would pull that rock out of the field it had to go dad did not want any rocks in the field and then after the disking was finished he would harrow the field Harrowing the field, large flat pieces of equipment with spikes pointed down, and you could adjust the angle of the spike. Now, Dad wanted more weight on those, so he put a piece of wood, big piece of wood down on the back of that, and I got to ride on the harrow behind the tractor, back and forth, up and down the field. And then the reward for all of that. I got to walk in my bare foot in that loom soil. Dark, rich, soft soil. Ready for the planting. And then Dad would go get the corn planter. He'd fill up the baskets that held the corn seed. And back and forth over that field in perfect symmetry. He would plant the corn. (laughs) And then we would watch for it to grow. 
Well, some of you need to have your soil plowed up. And frankly, some of you need to be disked and harrowed because your soil is hard and angry. And God wants to plant something in you. He wants to produce a great crop in your life. And the soil is going to have to be soft and deep. The roots of the tomatoes will go down several feet. And if they go down several feet in the heat of the summer, the roots won't be overheated so the tomato plant can produce beautiful tomatoes. Have you ever planted a tomato plant in a shallow soil and the heat of the summer comes and the tomato wilts and it won't produce anything? No matter how much water you pour on it, you can't keep those roots cool. No, it takes deep soil soft, loam soil, not hard clay packed down. No, loam soil, loam soil. She said, I have no more terrible feelings about you. Do you believe that Jesus will heal me? I said, he may, after you get the Holy Spirit. Well, she drew a long, deep breath and finally said, well, I want the Holy Spirit, all right. So I went to prayer. It was about 4 p.m. I remained there four nights and three days, holding on to God for her to die out. Did you catch that? He is praying for four nights and three days that she would die out to herself, to her pride, to her hard feelings. Neither of us ate a mouthful during this examination. God answered, as she seemed to be about the the deadest living person I had seen for some time. Her husband was an unsaved man, but a firm believer that she could get well and encouraged me to continue. He believed in divine healing, even though he was unsaved. And he told me several times that if we could get her where God could have his way, the Lord would heal her. So on this fourth morning, she bounded out of bed No one but the daughter was up, and the mother was shouting, sanctified and healed, and, oh, I have the real thing this time. I saw her twice after that. She was an entirely different woman. Well, the husband wanted me to stay one more day, so I went to the barn as I was somewhat fatigued, and there I pleaded for him. I came down at 3.30 p.m., He was in one of the stalls in the cow barn, praying, praying, praying. Well, that's what I'd been praying for during those several weeks of strange actions, but they all counted, and that night, about 10.30, he got through. Now, can you see? This man, to be converted 
You prayed for him for many hours. We've heard him on the platform at the Cincinnati camp meeting giving unmistakable evidence of having just what he'd been advocating for some time. So listen, is there anything too hard for God? Can't we afford to be misunderstood and talked about, lied about, misrepresented and ostracized if in so doing God can bring the people to themselves? It isn't necessary for us to understand all the whys and wherefores, but it is our business to mind God. While I was not perfectly satisfied as to the all-around state of this woman, but just minded the Lord, as times went on, certain revelations were giving, removing all doubt up to the present. And as he had so revealed up to that time, why, of course, I could trust him for further guidance and developments, and he brought out all of those facts just as far as was necessary. God seldom tells us his whole plan relative to a certain person whom he has especially delegated us to work for. He wants us to go through, but one step at a time. God had this woman's entire sanctification and healing and salvation and sanctification of her husband all in view, mapped and marked out. Now he had to have someone who would allow him to bring forth some very unreasonable things from a human viewpoint in order to accomplish his designs. Well, he saw that Bevington could be trusted with that important work, so he assigned it to me, talking in round numbers, about seven weeks to do it. And most of that time I spent in seclusion in the woods. That is when God accomplishes his greatest feats, when he can get us into seclusion. I've been sharing with you a story out of Remarkable Miracles and Modern Miracles Through Prayer and Faith by Guy Bevington. Now, I hope you're as astonished as I am. I see how very shallow I've been. The Lord has told me, wait upon the Lord and the Lord will carry you through. Well, what did he mean? How do you wait before God? Literally, just what it means. You stop. You cease. And you begin to focus on what God has called you to pray for. And you stay right there steady, constant prayer, waiting for the deliverance to be granted. Now, I've not seen this kind of prayer in my life. I know, however, that this is exactly what it will take to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the presence of God, to have revival in Washington, D.C. It's going to mean laying aside all of our romantic notions and all of our 
all of our plans. And I know I'm talking to different kinds of people today. Some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about and you're willing to pay that price and you're willing to spend that time. But many of you are just church-going people and you've never even really been converted or changed. You still love the party and the dance. You still love the entertainment. You still love the television. You still love all the things of the world and the flesh and the devil. It's just that you also love the church and you love going and being entertained and inspired and networking and talking to people and doing business. But you've never really been converted. You've never really been metamorphosed. You've never been through that. You've never been transformed. Romans, the 12th chapter, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. And the word in the Greek is the word from which we get metamorphosis to appear as a new person with new habits, with new worship, with new service, a new person, a radical change through and through, complete change, both outward and inward change, metamorphosed, transformed. Now, where do I start? Well, you start by going before God and laying out what your spiritual condition truly is. You don't hide. You don't pretend. Most of you are going to have no one who can pray you through because basically there is no one who prays this way. And so it's going to be up to you and God and the Holy Spirit. And it depends on how earnest you are in desiring this fullness of righteousness. Do you really want, do you really want Jesus? Or do you want your own way? Are you willing to die out and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. It's going to take time. It will be expensive. Family and friends may say that you've lost your mind, that you've become a fanatic. Some of my family has said to me, you're not even a Christian anymore. Ray? You're not even a Christian. You're a fanatic. You've lost it. Well, the truth is, I just want Jesus. 
and I have given up the ways of this world. I'm not perfect in terms of maturity. I'm still immature. I'm not walking in any known rebellion or sin before Jesus. I've not yet received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Frankly, I don't know of anybody in our day who has received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but I believe he's coming, and I believe there's going to be one last great revival cry before the end of the earth, before Jesus comes, before we face him face to face. And I believe we're going to see signs and wonders and miracles like we have never even read about before. I believe the latter reign is going to be much greater than the former reign of Pentecost. And I believe that there are people hidden away all over who are, as I am, trying to understand the will of God, trying to hear clearly his voice, receiving prophetic messages, not playing games with God or with man. Romans, the sixth chapter says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. That's where we stand. I sure wish I could sit and talk with you person one-on-one and hear what your thoughts are. I know this is a call to go much deeper than you've ever gone before. I'm going to be continuing in the book of Mark. It's time we got real serious with Jesus. It's no time for games with him. And the place we start is is Psalm 51. I urge you to go and pray and read through that as David came before the Lord with confession and with request. And I believe stayed there until the answer came. It's up to you. What is it you really want? Lord Jesus, I'm asking that you would turn the x-ray machine on the heart of every person who has listened to this broadcast. I know some are angry and have not liked what's been said. Lord, would you turn the x-ray machine on in their hearts? May we see clearly, Lord Jesus, the condition of our spirit before you, that you could work your redemption in our hearts. Lord, make us like you.
Thank you, Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. We're out of time for today, but I want to give you our address and please, this has been a very slow week. We need to hear from you. We're coming to the end of the month. We're still several thousand dollars short of being able to pay for the month of of January. It's one of the most expensive months of the year. We pay by the day, by the hour. So would you write to me? Write to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you, give as he calls. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. You're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. You can listen to this message again. It'll be up this evening. And all of the other messages are there, and there are blogs to read. I pray it will be helpful to you as you wait before the Lord. God bless you, my brother. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I love you. I'll be praying for you. And I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory With great joy With great joy To the only God our Savior Through Jesus Christ our Lord Jesus Christ alone.